moment of worship. Worship is not just songs that we sing, it's our attitude towards God. And even in this moment, we're continuing to worship. Those of you who are are visiting us this morning, thank you for joining us. Thank you, family and friends that's here for the baby dedication. Thank you for taking time out to celebrate with your family, but also to be with us as a spiritual family. Those of you who are new to our church and visiting, my name is Jonathan, and together with Lindry and a group of elders, I have the great privilege of leading this wonderful and beautiful spiritual family called Every Nation Swanee Willows. And it's really for us a privilege to be able to gather, to come together and unite around a name bigger than our own name. Uh, And not just to gather, to be together, but to gather in order to go into the world and lift and carry the name of Jesus to wherever God has placed us. And so thank you for being with us this morning. I do trust and hope that all of us, maybe you've been part of us for 10 years or 10 minutes, that you will experience something of God this morning, and that He will be lifted up, that He will be the name that we carry with us when we leave this place. I want to share um, an encounter I had this week uh, with a real estate agent. And if I'm going to share the story, uh, just for clarity, I know of a couple of real estate agents that's in our church. And just for to settle everything the story that I want to share is not with someone in our church. So those of you who are in real estate, I'm not speaking about you. Okay. And the story that I'm sharing is also not necessarily a bad encounter. We just had an encounter with a real estate agent this weekend. And from that encounter, I was struck by the importance of a real estate agent. That person is crucial, whether you're, you're trying to buy a house or renting a home or you're trying to find a place where you this is your home. That person is the person that you're dealing with, and that person is absolutely crucial because that real estate agent doesn't just represent the property. They represent the owner. It's so much more than just the property. It's so much more than the house or the home or whatever you're trying to rent or buy. They represent the person whose property this is. And your interaction with that real estate agent can be really positive. They could win you over. You can go, wow, they are so great. I really trust them. And if I trust them, then surely if they tell me this is a good buy and a good property and a good stay, then there's something in your heart that go, let's consider this. So the real estate agent has the potential and the power to influence you into where you eventually want to stay. If you have a good encounter. If you have a bad encounter, Regardless of how great the property and the home might be, you might go, I don't know if I want to deal with this person. If you have a bad encounter with a real estate agent, it might be very off-putting. Real estate agents, really important, as they represent the owner. And you might even ask, what kind of person is the owner if they chose this person to represent them? 
If, the, if you have a great encounter with a real estate agent, you go, the owners must be nice. Surely. Surely. Because they picked a great person to represent them. They're probably best friends. If you have a really rude, really bad encounter, you might go, why did the owner choose this person to represent them? A real estate agent represents the owners. Important function. Do you know, do you realize that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, that in a sense, we are real estate agents for the kingdom of God? Do you realize that in a sense, sitting here this morning, saying you're a Christian, follower of Jesus, you represent the owner and the kingdom. Important function. And similar to my encounter, when the world encounters us, they can either have a great encounter and think, I want to know more, I want to know the owner, or it can be really off-putting. You represent the owner and the kingdom. Now, we're currently busy with a series called Counterculture, and throughout this series, we're looking at how followers of Jesus are called to live in a way that's different to the culture of this world. We cannot say we follow Jesus and our lifestyle looks similar to everyone around us. We're called to live counterculture because of what Christ has done. And we've had a couple of uh, Sundays, we've already spoken to this, but today we're going to specifically focus on what does it mean when there's a purpose behind our lives? What is the specific purpose that God has called us to that's counterculture to this world? And we're going to read from a scripture in 2 Corinthians 5. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to read together from verse 14. If you don't have your Bible, you're welcome to follow me on the screen. I'm going to read from the... English Standard Version, the ESV version. So let's read together from verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, the one, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. God. Let's pray. 
So, Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of your spirit, Lord, and we pray that as we look at your word, as we study your word, I pray that by your spirit that you would guide us into your truth. I pray that by your spirit that you would make your word alive in our hearts and our minds, Lord, and that you would speak to those parts of our lives that you want to address this morning. And Lord, we humbly submit ourselves unto your word, Lord, and we ask that your perfect will be done in this moment, Lord. And as we study your word, may it be a worship unto who you are, in your name, in your kingdom. Lord, may your perfect will be done in us through the power of your word and the ministry of your spirit. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Powerful couple of sentences. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth is a very important city in the in Roman Empire. It's a very influential city, very important, very rich, uh, a very strong city. But it's also a very immoral city. In fact, their lifestyle was so immoral that there were certain nicknames given to people living in Corinth. It's a really important city, but an immoral city. And this is an extremely diverse city. In this city, you find diverse cultures, diverse ethnicities, diverse languages, diverse religions. There's a diversity in the economic, um, just um, the wealth of the, the community. It is a very important, immoral, and diverse city. And in a sense, Paul's relationship with this church is also very diverse. Paul has written a couple of letters to this church. Two of those letters we don't have anymore. But what we know as 1 Corinthians was a letter to this church, which is really a harsh letter. If you read through 1 Corinthians in your Bible, you would see Paul is rebuking this church. He's addressing certain things that's gone wrong in this church. Some of this immoral acts of the city has crept into the church, and the church was so far from what it means to be followers of Jesus. And Paul is just laying into them, lovingly, but correcting them. And then we, we can assume that they listened to the apostle Paul because things changed in this church. And, and then Paul wrote the second letter. You can see there's a different tone to 2 Corinthians. But what since happened, even though they listened to Paul, even though Paul had certain authority over them, they admired him and listened to them, other leaders came into this church and they started to turn the church against Paul and the people that was working with Paul. And now Paul heard about it, and that's the purpose of the second letter that we wrote now, or read now. Paul is writing to this church again, but now he's not correcting them, he's appealing to them. And he's writing, and part of his writing is to, to appeal to them to trust him and his co-workers, that they have been sent by God. And one of the ways that he describes this, he says, we are ambassadors of God. And he writes to this church, and he's, and, he, and he's almost appealing, would you embrace us as ambassadors? Would you look beyond all the accusations that is against us, and would you recognize that God has sent us to represent him to you? This is Paul's appeal to this church. What does it mean to be an ambassador? What does it mean to be an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? Now, if we really simplify it, 
ambassador has authority because they represent a higher authority. An ambassador that's living in our nation, that is, say, the ambassador of Uganda or ambassador of the USA, they have certain authority, not because they are important, but because they represent an authority higher than them. They represent the president or the leader of that nation. They are sent on his behalf to this nation. So ambassador represents a higher authority. Ambassador represents a different nation, a different country, a different place of origin. And he's supposed to, um, one of the functions is to make sure that there's diplomatic relationships between the nation that he's from and the nation where he's called to. An ambassador represents a high authority, but also represents a different nation. And ultimately, an ambassador is tasked to uphold the values and principles of the authority that he's representing. Ambassadors should uphold the values and the principles of the country that he's representing. That is if you simplify the function of an ambassador. But what did Paul say does an ambassador do? If we look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is powerful. Paul is writing to this church and he says, we are representing God. We don't come in our own name. We don't come by our own accolades and our own authority. We are representing God. God towards you, as if God is acting and speaking through us. Paul is saying to this church, we represent God as if God is speaking and acting through us to you. See, ambassador of Christ, as ambassadors of Christ, we represent Him, His kingdom, His character, His ways, and God uses us to act and speak on His behalf in this world to establish His kingdom. I want to say that again. As ambassadors of Christ, we represent Him, His kingdom, His character, His ways, and God uses us to act and speak on His behalf to this world to see His kingdom established. That is massive. That means if you are a follower of Jesus, God has given you certain authority because you represent an higher authority. As a follower of Jesus, ambassador of Christ, it means you walk into situations with the authority of God on you. You walk into certain relationships with the authority of God on you. It is a massive task. You're representing God as if he's speaking and acting. And there's authority behind your life. But this authority is for a purpose. This authority is not given to us so that we can abuse the authority, that we can walk into every situation and get and ask whatever we want. 
This authority has been given for the purpose. It's the authority of the high authority for the purpose of his kingdom. It's great when we say we have authority, but we need to recognize our authority is for a purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this is an incredibly humbling thought. Think that the God that we sang about, this holy, almighty God, chooses you and me. I'm going to speak for myself that he chose me to represent him. It's incredibly humbling. Because I know who I am. I know that this is a task that I cannot do. And at the same time, as humbling as it is, to think that God would value me enough to say, you're going to represent me, is incredibly scary because I know the deepest, darkest parts of my life. And I know I fall infinitely short to represent God. Incredibly humbling. God says, I chose you to represent me. And on the other hand, really scary because we know we're not measuring up. We know we cannot be an accurate picture of God to this world. Paul is presenting himself and his co-workers to this church as ambassadors. This task, this humble but fearful task, this task with, with authority and purpose. Now, if, you, if you're fearful of this, if you feel humbled by this, we need to ask the question, well, does it mean that everyone is an ambassador of Christ? Should we assume that all of us as followers of Jesus is an ambassador of Christ? Or is it really just the apostles, the really sought out people, the, the Pauls of this world? Is it the professional Christians, the pastors, the elders? Who's called to be ambassadors of God? Again, if we look at the Scripture, Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Therefore, a really important word, meaning there's something that has already happened. There is something that determines whether you are ambassador of Christ. Therefore, something already happened. So we have to go back in the Scripture. We have to go back and look at what already happened that made Paul and his co-workers Ambassadors of Christ. So if we go back to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. So we see, therefore, there's already something that has happened that qualifies a certain person to be an ambassador of Christ. What's those things that Paul says? What's the therefore that has qualified an ambassador of Christ? The first thing is, you are in Christ. 
Therefore, if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've made a personal decision to say, I will follow and trust Jesus. Then the Bible teaches us that we are in relationship with God. The Bible teaches us that when we make that decision, something spiritually happens inside of us. And the Bible says we are united with Christ in His death and His resurrection. We are united spiritually with Jesus in His death, meaning we have died to sin. Jesus paid the price and we are raised with Him into a new life. There's new life, new relationship in Christ. So if you are in Christ, one of the prerequisites for being an ambassador, the second thing is a new creation. Because you are in Christ, you have a new life in you, new purpose, a new way of living. You feel that the Spirit of God is transforming you more and more into the image of Jesus. You're not perfect, but you're definitely not where you used to be. There's a new life, a new way of living, a new way of, of thinking a new purpose. And the third thing, third prerequisite, you have been reconciled with God. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means there's no animosity between you and God. There's nothing that separates you from God. It means that your sins have been forgiven. There's no thing that comes between you and God. You've been reconciled back into relationship with God. Three things. And because of these three things, if you've experienced these three things, you've been given a message of reconciliation. What's the message of reconciliation? It's your testimony. Nobody can fight your testimony. This is who I was. When I met Jesus, this is who I am. This is what changed in my life. Your message of reconciliation is your testimony, not just of how you've been saved, but how God is continually saving you today. It's a message of reconciliation, testifying what is God doing in this moment in your life. Why are you trusting God? What is God doing? How is God coming through? It's a testimony of a message of reconciliation because you're testifying that there's nothing between you and God. You are restored in Him. And this testimony is a message to others that they can have it as well. And because we've experienced this, because we have a testimony, we've also begun a ministry of reconciliation. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a message of reconciliation and a ministry of reconciliation. That's what Paul is explaining to them. And this ministry of reconciliation means there's a purpose behind your life so that others will know Jesus. There's an intentionality that you live by. You walk into every relationship, every situation, knowing that the authority of Christ is with you for the purpose of God, to see His kingdom being established. When you share this message of reconciliation, it is to see the kingdom of God being established. When you walk into that relationship, in that situation, it is to see the kingdom of God being established. You have a message and a purpose, a message of reconciliation, a testimony, and a ministry of reconciliation, a purpose, an intentionality by which you live.
Now note this. What's the prerequisites for being ambassador? Notice that nothing that you have done and nothing that you're currently doing qualifies you to be an ambassador of God. God has done everything. God is the one that qualifies us. Not your good living. Not everything that you get right. God qualifies you. Because God is the one who reconciles us. God is the one that gives us sins. God is the one that renews our spirit. God is the one who renews our life. God is the one who gives us a new purpose and a new message. God is the one that is qualifying you to be an ambassador. This prerequisite has nothing to do with what you've done. At most, you made a decision. At most, you made a decision to say, Jesus, I trust you. But the rest is God. So as you're sitting here this morning, if you've been saved, if you follow Jesus, and you know your life has changed, here's the good news. You are an ambassador of God. Regardless of what's happening in your life. Regardless of what you're struggling with, regardless of what area you're struggling to trust Him, regardless of what relationship looks like, regardless of where you find yourself in your life, regardless of what's happening mentally inside of you, you are an ambassador of God because of what God has done. And part of what you're facing is part of your message of reconciliation. You are qualified by God as an ambassador. All your mistakes, not the good parts, everything, everything testifies about Him. You are an ambassador of God, meaning you are representing God as if Jesus is speaking and acting through you. You have a message and a purpose. So we ask the question, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents an higher authority. We ask the question, is everyone an ambassador of Christ? Well, if you're saved and you're a follower of Jesus and there's new life, you are an ambassador of Christ. So naturally, we need to ask, how do you live as an ambassador of Christ? The scary idea that God has chosen us to represent Him, how do we do it? How do we live? Because we can so easily swing to a place where we go, oh, now we have to be the, we have to be Jesus. <laughs> and I wonder if God is expecting that of us. Does God expect us to live in a certain way? Yes. Does God expect us to honor Him in a certain way? Yes. Does God expect us that our lives look different than the culture of this world? Yes. But how do we do it? How do we live as ambassadors? Go to the scripture. Let's go back to where Paul started with this church. And he says, verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. If you want to know how the life of an ambassador of Christ looks like, the love of Christ controls them. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might not live longer for themselves, but for him, and for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is how an ambassador of Jesus lives, controlled by the love of Christ. This is where we start, controlled by the love of Christ. Now, this word control, uh, the Greek word here is sunechu. So, sunechu means to hold together, to hold fast, and to be seized. So, when Paul says, the love of Christ controls us, he says, we are held together by the love of Christ. He says, we hold fast to the love of Christ, and we are being seized. This word, uh, it's used whenever someone has a fever. Have you ever been seized by a fever? It just takes control over your body. So what Paul says when the love of Christ compels us, he says, it, it, it holds us together, it keeps us together, and it controls us, it seizes us, meaning it has power over us, and we submit to that power. It limits us because it holds us, keeps us together, limits us. It's a boundary in which we live. It's a boundary in which we choose to live, the love of Christ. This is not God manipulating us through His almighty power. It's us submitting to the power of His love. And we limit the way we live in the boundaries of His love, meaning we do not do whatever we want to do because we are controlled by the love of Christ. How does it practically look? How does it look to be controlled by the love of Christ? For the moment, I want to suggest that we look at the love of Christ um, as we look at glasses. See, if you wear glasses, you would know glasses has got a really specific purpose. Glasses don't blind you to the world. Glasses don't limit your view. They don't obstruct your view. You wear glasses to enhance what you see. To see clearer, to have a broader view, to see further, to have a greater understanding. Glasses helps us see better. The love of Christ becomes the lenses through which we view and approach life. If you want to be controlled by the love of Christ, wear the glasses of Christ's love. And you you put the love of Christ on and you look through the lenses of Jesus' love at yourself. Through the love of Christ, that what he's already demonstrated, what do I see about myself? You look through these lenses to the world, through the lenses of Christ's love to the world. It's the way that we look at situations. 
It's the way that we deal with circumstances. It's the way that we view relationships. It's the way that we approach marriage. It's the way that we approach parenting. It's the way that we look at our resources. Through the love of Christ, we look at our time and our finances. It's the way we view other people. Through the love of Christ. Now I need to clarify what this means. The love of Christ does not mean we shouldn't confuse it with grace. The love of Christ doesn't mean we overlook things. Because sometimes in this modern world, we have the idea that love means accepting everything and everyone. God did not overlook sin. God's love made that He addressed sin. God's love made that He did not overlook what's wrong with this world, what's wrong with me and you. He gave His Son to deal with sin. So when we wear the glasses of God's love, we don't overlook sin in this world. We don't overlook our shortcomings. We don't go, oh God, I look through your love and I know your love is so forgiving. So if I don't honor you with my finances, I'm just going to say thank you because I'm viewing it through your love. That is not wrong. That's not right. The love of Christ shouldn't justify our lifestyle. The love of Christ should go because he died. For this, I'm going to deal with it. The love of Christ makes us go into a situation, into circumstances, and go, what does the love of Christ teach me about this moment? I'm going through the valley of death. I'm going through a difficult situation. The love of Christ tells me, I will go through this. The love of Christ tells me, God is with me. I can trust Him. The love of Christ tells me, even if this world is unfair, that He is just and righteous and I can trust Him. The love of Christ told me that nothing can separate me from God. Therefore, I can stand firm in this moment. The love of Christ, the lenses through which we view this world, is not an excuse to do whatever we want to. It's not to overlook sin. It gives us a framework how to deal with sin. Gives us a framework how to deal with this world. So when certain political parties in this nation of ours goes, we want to disrupt everything. Do we put on the glasses of love? Or do we act like everyone else in this nation? Do we put on the glasses of love and we go, this is not God. And instead of just becoming angry, and discouraged, speaking death, I'm going to pray for the love of Christ to counter this. Because I have authority of my life to speak into the injustice and corruption of this nation. If we view this world through the love of Christ, then we cannot live for ourselves. Cannot look at your time and your calendar and go, oh, Jesus gave everything, so I might give him five minutes. Jesus gave everything, so I'm going to waste my life on building a name for myself, build up a pension, build up a happy ending at the end of this life. We view it through the lenses of life. God gave everything, then I go, God, 
What do you want to do with my thoughts? How do you want to use me? We, live, we view through the lenses of, lenses of love. We go, well, okay, <laughs> everything that I have is grace. Even my money. Even my relationships, my friendships, my, my children, my marriage. So God, what do you want to do here? How do I surrender this to you? If we view this world through the lenses of God's love, then we cannot look to people according to the flesh. We cannot look to people and judge them according to what we see. Because if I look through the lenses of love, because Paul said we've concluded that Christ died for all. Not just some skin colors. Not just some ethnicities, some cultures died for all. So when I look at a certain person of a certain culture, a certain skin color, I don't see everything that that person represents. I see what God wants to do in their life. And I place the value that God has placed on that person in my heart. And I go, God even though there's so much things that I struggle with my heart, even, even so much things that I don't understand, help me to value and treat people the way that you value and treat them. Don't view people according to the flesh. So that person, that thorn in your side, the person that you're really struggling to love, person that's constantly disappointing you, the person that's constantly hurting you, the person that's constantly just not seeing what they're doing, you don't go, I'm done with you. You go, I see the sin in your life, and I judge the sin, not you. I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to agree with your sin, and I'm going to continue to speak into your sin, and I'm going to continue to help you. I'm going to continue to be there, but I'm not going to treat you as I treat sin. Because love, God loves you and values you. But I'm not going to overlook sin. So if you want to live as an ambassador of God, start with a simple prayer. If we walk from this building, let's start with a simple prayer. Let's take, up all the, take off all the pressure of living a perfect life that perfectly represents God. And let's just start to pray a simple, life-changing prayer. A prayer that says, God, help me to see through your love. Imagine what will happen if every one of us pray this prayer every morning. God, help me to see myself through your love. God, help me to see the situation, the circumstances through your love. God, help me to see this world through your love. God, help me to see my marriage through your love. Help me to see my teenager through your love. My toddler my adult child is still acting like a teenager 
through your love. Father, help me to see my parents through your love. I'm struggling to, to respect them, honor them for with the way that they're living. Help me to see them through your love. Help me to see this friend, this neighbor, this co-worker through your love. Help me to see other people that do not look and act like me through your love. Help me to see my finances, my time, and my resources through your love. Imagine what will happen. Imagine what will happen if a church like this, pray God, help me to see through your love. Don't you think that's a prayer that God will honor? Don't you think that's a prayer where God will go? Because you ask this, I will give you my authority to establish my kingdom in this area. Because I've chosen you to represent me in this world. Everywhere you're struggling, that friendship, that neighbor, that whatever, I've chosen you to be an ambassador because if you, in all your sin and faults, can accurately represent the love of God, that is the greatest testimony. That He is so much greater and more worthy. If you are in Christ, if you have new life and your sins have been forgiven, then you are an ambassador of Jesus. And as ambassadors of Christ, we represent Him, His kingdom, his character, His ways. And God uses us in His infinite wisdom and grace to act and speak on His behalf in this world to see His kingdom come, to establish His kingdom. And we do this by praying a simple prayer. God, help me to see through your love. And as we apply this prayer to our lives, we see that we start to live not for ourselves, and we start to live in this world not just by what we see, by what God sees. Let's pray. And before we just conclude in prayer this morning, I want you to ask God, if you're saved, your life has changed, and you've your sins are forgiven, you're a follower of Jesus, would you ask Him this morning, Lord, what area of my life are you called me to, to be an ambassador? What relationship, what situation are you laying on my heart this morning? And whatever thought comes to mind, would you pray the prayer, Lord, would you help me see this through your love? where you are. Pray that prayer.
as Jonathan was just sharing um, things that disqualifies us. Um, I see how people are sitting here this morning and saying, um, but this has happened in my life. I've fallen into sexual sin. I've maybe um, been divorced. I've failed in every single relationship. I've dealt wrongly with specific financial deals. Um, There's so many hidden stuff in the cupboard that feels like I can't pick up the blazer of an ambassador. I see how a blazer is lying on the bed in your life and you're saying that that thing I can't wear anymore because this is what's happened. And I see how God is saying it's not because of what you've done. Um, 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 it's, it's not you who qualify yourself, it's God who qualifies you. And He's giving you an opportunity this morning to open that cupboard and to say, God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for allowing this. And by your grace, I receive your mercy. Your mercy to put this blazer on, not because of what I have done, but because of who you are and who you are calling me to be in this world. Um, so I just want to ask if I can just pray for you guys. Um, yes. So let's keep our eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And if you feel this word that Lindry is sharing resonates with your heart, I believe God wants to do something. He wants to acknowledge that he qualifies you as an ambassador. And we're going to pray into this. I'm going to ask Lindry to pray in this. But I want to ask you, as that moment of acknowledging, standing in faith for what God has called you to, would you stand? The rest of us, we're going to keep our eyes closed. But if, if you feel that what Lindry is sharing this morning is for you, you feel there's certain things that disqualifies you as an ambassador, during a moment, just stand. And would you just open your hands in front of you and receive by faith what God wants to do? Yes, God, I just see how you are standing as a loving father before every single person that's just standing and opening up their hands and saying, I'm so sorry for whatever I've done, God. It can be hidden sin. It can be something just impatient, being impatient every day and falling short. Sin is sin before you, God. There's no big sin. There's no small sin. Sin is sin. And we ask, God, that you will just, by your grace, come and minister to every person that's standing and saying, I want to open this door that feels like it's disqualifying me of putting on this blazer, putting on a blazer of being an ambassador for you, Jesus. God, I pray through your mercy, through your perfect love that drives out all fear, that drives out all rejection, that drives out all lies, that drives out everything that's saying, I am not worthy of putting on this blazer. God, I pray that you will just, through your perfect love, come and show them that you are bigger and greater than the lies, keeping them from putting this blazer on in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, we're praying now that you would come and answer our prayer, that you help us to see through your love. And Lord, as we move from this place, may we be ambassadors that represent you to this world. May we see your kingdom being established in those areas where you've called us to, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we pray this prayer, may you open our eyes to see what you see, to feel what you feel. Lord, we're asking this 
not because of what we need to do or who we are, Lord, but because of what you already have done and who you are. May you open our eyes to see through your love so that your kingdom may be established in and through us. We ask this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.